Because Hagrid is just like your drunk uncle, this is MuggleCast episode 220 for February the 6th, 2011. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 220. Micah, Eric, and I here this week, we're, we have some big news, whether it's Harry Potter news or news about what we are doing this summer. We have both things to talk about this week, so it's a very exciting episode, I have to say. Not to mention Super Bowl... This weekend, Super Bowl Sunday. Let's. But that get has nothing to do with Harry Potter, to... so we won't even go into it, really. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull, and I'm Micah Tannenbaum. What's in the news this week, Micah? We'll get to our announcement about the summer in just a couple minutes. Well, on February the first, I can't remember what day that was. I think it was Tuesday. It was the we day of the received... Great Chicago Blizzard. Oh, that's right. Are you still digging out over there? How are you doing? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, New York, we didn't get as much. We got a lot of rain. Huh. So, uh, But we got plenty of snow before that. Andrew, how's the snow out west? Oh, it's great. <laughs> I have a tan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back on Tuesday, uh, Warner Brothers gave an official announcement for the release date of the Deathly Hallows Part 1 DVD and Blu-ray as well as what features are going to be contained uh, on both the DVD and the Blu-ray editions. So April the 15th, just a couple months from now, we will have all of this great stuff uh, to talk about. But we can do a little bit of previewing, I think, right? Uh, Looking at the features and the deleted scenes uh, that are going to be on the DVD and the Blu-ray. So... I think the most exciting exciting thing is the part two preview, which is supposed to have uh, it's it's supposed to be one of the opening scenes from the film. So it's not going to be from the battle, but maybe it'll be. I'm guessing it'll be the Gringotts action. Do you think? Maybe it'll be planning yeah, Gringotts that's- in Shell Cottage. Maybe with Ollivander. Harry does make a pretty big decision to go what between Hallows and Horcruxes at around the time at Shell Cottage. Mm, true. Uh, you know, yeah, that's a good point. I just thought maybe they would want to to tease something more action-packed. And then some other sneak peeks that are on here. Uh, we get to see how Dan Radcliffe recreated the personalities of different characters that transform into Harry's in the hilarious Privet Drive scene. And a couple of goofy things. I don't know. Like, lately with these DVDs, they've been adding a lot of goofy content. Now, is like, this on the DVD some- or is this on the Blu-ray? Yeah, that's the thing. You have to buy the three-disc Blu-ray combo pack, which comes with a DVD yeah, and oh. a Blu-ray and a digital copy. That's unnecessary. I'm just going to say that. There's at least one disc you don't need in that set, and maybe two. Uh, the other cool thing I thought, you know, and, and maybe this is just adding things in for the sake of having them, is you get a behind-the-scenes look at what went into uh, the grand opening for the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park down in Orlando when... A lot of the cast and crew were down for uh, for that great event. So I, I feel like, though, that's just uh, an addition for the sake of, of, of trying to 
not include other important content. What do you guys think? Well, I no, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean they've never they've <laughs> never had though important content. Things like outtakes don't exist on these on these. You know, and you which is a shame. You have to admit, you didn't they used to? You, you always hear about Rupert playing pranks and you know things like whoopee cushions, which probably be funny to watch once and then you know not as much later. They'll save that for the um, ultimate editions. Because when they use when they do those documentaries, you see, always see that extra B roll of the actors goofing around on set. Yeah. So, so I but I think I mean think about it. It's eight films, all two and a half hours long, months and months of filming. There's got to be stuff that hit film, you know. Yeah, funny absolutely. outtakes, even if it's just messing up lines. Um, well, let's let's run through these deleted scenes really quick uh, and get some uh, reaction. First one up is the Burroughs Shed. Ron discusses radios with Mr. Weasley. You can kind of understand why that would have been cut from the film. But also why it would be important. Um, because obviously he, he, he... It's not developed in the film, but um, you know he does rely on the radio. The next two are important. They were in the book. Harry and Aunt Petunia as they leave. And Harry and Dudley shaking hands. I don't get this. Because um, neither of these two scenes that take place in the Dursley house are the are the version of, or appear to be the version of the Dursleys departing that I saw in the preview of Deathly Hallows. I don't know. And what was the preview? Just to remind people. In the, it's not in the movie, but um, there's this line where Dudley says, I don't understand why the boy's not coming with us. And, or why is he not coming? And Vernon says to him, because he doesn't want to. And it's obviously a lie, but so that, you know, it's uneasy. It's, it's, Vernon is, is troubled when he says that. Um, so there's no shaking hands in that scene. No shaking hands, and it's not Ampetunia. When they drive away, Ampetunia, I think, looks out the window. Um, but there's no dialogue between them that I saw. But also, not even that line is in the actual movie, so I'm wondering where that line went. Because I thought it was good. Also, these other scenes, the Granger house, uh, Death Eaters, Search, Deserted Home. That would, that would bring such value, you know, to, to, to Hermione hiding her family, but I can see exactly yeah, yeah. why it's not needed, because, you know, you already understand that, her, you've already seen Hermione wipe her parents' memories, so it doesn't, it almost doesn't even matter if they actually search the house. And the final four scenes, Ministry of Magic lifts, Harry tells Arthur he's being tracked. That, that'd be uh, funny. In the tent. The trio discusses destroying the locket, a rabbit chase in the forest, and finally, a montage of Ron and Hermione skimming stones. So most of these things aren't too, um, you know, you can understand at this point why they cut them out. Usually, usually they blame it on the pacing of the, right. of the film. They didn't want to slow it down. Well, actually, the last two were, were two scenes that David Yates mentioned when uh, you interviewed him on the red carpet in New York City. He pointed those two out, as well as the uh, scene with Aunt Petunia. So, because yeah, you always asked him the, you asked him specifically that, didn't you? What scenes will be on the dis- deleted and the DVD? You asked him that question, right? Yeah, and he said these these things. I think I can rabbit remember. chase in the forest. Uh, who know, Who cares? Anyway, let's move on. What else is going on in the news? Well, we briefly mentioned the Wizarding World theme park earlier. And uh, there's been a couple of rumors that have surfaced of late. Andrew, you reported on it just the other day that uh, we could see an expansion uh, as early as uh, 2013 with the possibility of Diagon Alley and Gringotts being added 
to the theme park, particularly in that Lost Continent area that currently houses Jurassic Park. Right. So we've been making a few news posts about an expansion because it's really exciting and it's very clear. First of all, we know that Universal is obligated to update the park in some fashion every couple of years. But, you know, there's all this other information that keeps surfacing as well. And uh, Scream, Screamscape website, or the, uh, a theme park site called Scream, Screamscape um, reported most of these rumors that we shared most recently. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, Diagon Alley seems to make the most sense when thinking about expanding, uh, because that is another public wizarding area that would just work really well. It's an outdoor area, so it would fit naturally in the park. Although... Uh, and it would take over the Lost Continent, which is really <laughs> lame. You don't, you don't like the Lost Continent, Andrew. <laughs> no, it's horrible. The only good thing there is Mythos, the restaurant. Um, but there's all that room that they could be using to for... for uh, the Wizarding World. Well, My only concern is the Wizarding World, the entrance right now, would no longer be the entrance. So, I, I, I you know, that would be kind of weird. Yeah. Having, like, two well, there, areas that feel like entrances. There already are two entrances to the park, though. Um, yeah, but you know the main one where the Hogwarts Express Right, but is. that's like, actually that's... not the main one. The main one is over the bridge that takes you under Hogwarts. Um, according to everybody I spoke to, because when in in times of trouble, they would close what I would consider to be the main entrance by the Hogwarts Express, and you know that leads in from the Lost Continent, and they actually they they the large bridge that the line was forming took you in through in between Hogwarts and Hogsmeade, uh, right near Jurassic Park, uh, through that bridge. That seems to be what they were calling the main entrance, even though the one by the Hogwarts. See, Express- I, don't, I don't think that's the main entrance because, like, all the publicity photos uh, went the grand opening day. You know, that was all by the Hogwarts Express. But nonetheless, the the rumor that seems to be floating around right now is a Gringotts ride, uh, and I sort of put two and two, two together. There was an article from the Orlando Sentinel that said. Warner Brothers' contract with Universal states they must, quote, incorporate elements from the final Potter films. So I was thinking, well, there is a Gringotts scene in Part 2, or there is a Diagon Alley scene in Part 2 when they go to Gringotts. And there's that action-packed sort of, you know, ride and the dragon breaking in. So I thought that would be a perfect ride that they could, or a perfect scene they could base the ride on. Do you guys agree that would be cool? They could just plant a bunch of trees and call it the English countryside ride and... People can camp out, and everybody gets oh. to run through the forest. <laughs> that would be a little boring, I think. But, uh, but 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 how would they mold that? Would it be similar to the Forbidden Journey ride, or would it be something l- along the lines of what they have in other parts of, of Universal? Maybe uh, you know how King Kong and and Jaws and and those rides used to be, where it's more of you kind of just going through and you see things around you. Would it be a roller coaster? What do you guys think? They already my, have two roller coasters. They do have two roller I coasters. Think, my preference is for like a wild mouse type roller coaster where you yes, can go over yep. the edges but like be in mine carts underneath Gringotts. Like but so it would be indoors again. But you know, they've they've done a, they've had a lot of success with those kinds of things, like the mummy ride in Universal as well. They seem to be really good at, at building those, and that type of ride is kind of I wanna say it's why you go to Universal for those types of rides where you're you're sitting and watching more so than you are 
being thrown around. Like, the Dueling Dragons now is a violent, violent ride, and, and so you get your fix for a roller coaster there, but the other rides are just kind of themed, and, you, and you're watching. You're, you're a spectator, almost, to the movie. Right. Yeah, and, and that kind of, you know, there could be sharp turns, there could be sudden drops, I think, for that sort of minecart ride. I was sort of thinking, like, in Disneyland and Disney World, they have the um, Big, Thun- Big Thunder Mountain, which is sort of like a train style. And, you know, it's got drops and turns, and it moves pretty fast. I think it be, could be something like that. And all the while, you know, you're sort of watching the dragon maybe chase you, or uh, you're trying to get to the right vault or something. I don't know. There's a lot of potential there, I think. I have to well, say... especially with the Horcrux, maybe they can tie that in, destruction of the Horcrux, into that particular ride, because, you know, all the the fire that takes place in the vault, and they have trouble trying to get out. Uh, so, so, be interesting. So, this is... um. The rumor right now currently is 2013, which actually I think is kind of late. I would, I would have thought they would try to open it up like in the beginning of 2012 or something. Well, but maybe that's just too. Okay, soon. my initial reaction when I read these these separate news posts was the last thing that that theme park needs is more shops, more okay, places well, to, to I- sit around and spend your money. They need rides. They need rides. Three. Two of the three rides in that park already existed prior to building the Wizarding World. We let it slide. We let it slide because the Wizarding World is a great place. But realistically, they need to build more more rides. They need to build new, more rides that are specific to that park because they're getting off easy. Think of all the money they're making. Do you know what in. Mr. Universal would say if he heard you say that right now, that they don't need more shops? Mr. Universal? Yeah, what? He'd say this. <laughs> it's all about money, Eric. It's all about money. They have, they've, and as we've reported before, they have made so much money off the Harry yeah. Potter merchandise. They are just, they are just, you know, using money as toilet paper at this point. <laughs> That's because instead of rides, they have these themed merchandise. And don't get me wrong. But is it a problem? Yes. Don't get me wrong. It's beautiful. But, I mean, people are still waiting in line three hours to get to go to Gringotts and get chosen for a wand, or go to Ollivanders and get chosen for a wand. But it's not the point. You know, I was going to ask that, Eric, though. Do you think Ollivander has squatting rights in Diagon Alley? Can he move back? I think I, th- I think he can open up I two I think shops. they should add a second one. They need to... Yeah. Yeah. Let's um, move, move along. Again, this is... I am really excited for the next expansion. We know for sure there will be an expansion, but the big questions are what it will be and when it will be, and that's why we're reporting whatever we can find, because <laughs> we're so excited. And Mr. Universal Eric is looking to add more shops. He's rolling in the dough. Anyway. He's laughing at you right now. <laughs> Before we move on, first we'd like to tell you about this week's sponsor. Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of MuggleCast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their awesome service. One audiobook to consider is Orson Scott Card's classic, Ender's Game. Check out the special 20th anniversary edition, which is digitally remastered with a full cast production. So to purchase that or any other audiobook of your choice for free, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. The uh, Harry Potter franchise is set to receive an honorary BAFTA. It was announced on Thursday for its outstanding British contribution to cinema (laughs) at this year's awards. Now, J.K. Rowling and producer David Heyman will be there to accept this award thoughts i mean is is this something that 
potentially the Oscars would follow suit on, or do you don't think that uh, that's even going to be Micah, possible? What's what's an what's an honorary BAFTA? Is that any more important than a regular BAFTA? Because it would have to well, be. Well, it's for uh, the reason the Oscars wouldn't do the, this sort of thing is because well they could, but the BAFTA this honorary BAFTA is for um, quote highlighting the expertise within the british craft and technical industry so it's the fact that the the harry potter film franchise is a british production that they're getting this honorary award at the baptist and it is it was a wise choice in my opinion because you know to set the film to film the film in britain and not on some stage in america where obviously warner brothers pays for it but you know, it, it's, it's, so BAFTAs are great. I don't think it says anything about Oscars though, but I think it's really important that the films do receive this award. Um, and, and it's cool that J.K. Rowling is going to be at, at accepting. Well, it's not like she had a, you know, was writing a book or something, was busy <laughs> doing something else. Easy. Well, if you read her Twitter, she is. <laughs> She's, what, pen and paper? I would love to accept the BAFTA, but pen and paper are my priority <laughs> at the moment. Well, What's interesting, though, is there was an article, uh, I think, earlier this week that featured Rupert Grint and Richard Griffiths talking about the lack of Oscar uh, you know, appreciation That's that the Harry Potter series has gotten. That Rupert Grint it, and Richard Griffiths? Well, I, maybe they just interviewed both of them. I, they were at a premiere or something like that. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting now to sort of hear the actor's reaction to not getting a whole lot of recognition when it comes to the Oscars. I know we've had this conversation before, but, you know, with Deathly Hallows Part 2 coming out in July, will there be that push from Warner Brothers to nominate the final part of the series? Do you guys think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe the films are too British, you know, all British actors, to ever receive uh, an American award. But, th- but then that's that's incorrect because movies like The King's Speech, in fact, America has an obsession with British actors in American films. So, you know, everything Hugh, Hugh Jackman or I'm not even going to continue, but a lot of Australians too. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, final piece of news. Dear Mr. Potter. Uh, this is something that was started by 16-year-old Lily Zalon, and it's a nonprofit book featuring stories, letters, and photos from Harry Potter fans around the world telling how the series has impacted and inspired them. And the book, which is going to be available for purchase this summer, is being sold 100% nonprofit to benefit youth literacy through the Harry Potter Alliance. And I understand, Eric, both you and Andrew have uh, written letters and they will both appear in the printed version of this book it's a really cool idea this dear mr potter project um i think this is sort of almost long overdue uh this kind of collection and i cannot wait to read it they're also if you go to dear mr potter.org they're posting a lot of their letters now um well it started as a web blog didn't it i mean it started that way yeah i mean it's 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 on tumblr so it's technically still is a blog okay um but a lot of these letters won't be printed in the book, but uh, and some of them will. So you can go there now and just read through them. You'll get a nice look at what you can expect in the book. Yeah, it's really it's really great stuff. Dear Mr. Potter dot org, all one word. And it's cool that this was all started by uh, you know a sixteen year old. To me, that, maybe that's it was really J.K. Impressive. Rowling's daughter. Isn't she around that age now? Could be. Her name first name was Lily. So I mean, you gotta. Gotta wonder. Maybe it's her pen name. (laughs) Never know. All right, Andrew. 
we have a, a big summer announcement here, and I'm going to throw it to you to, to talk about MuggleCon 2011. <laughs> yes, we are launching, <laughs> we are announcing MuggleCast Con. No, um, so for the summer, we obviously want to do, be a part of something big. It's the final Harry Potter film. It, you know, everybody is going to be so excited leading up to the launch of the film and a lot of fans want to be together. And as people know, we've been to many Harry Potter conferences in the past and many of you listeners have showed up to them and we've done live podcasts at them. We've done panels, meet and greets, you know, you name it. And so this year we are going to be at LeakyCon 2011. Our friends at the leakycauldron.org are uh, organizing this event. It's going to be in Orlando, Florida. At the same hotel that Infinitus was at last year. It's going to be July 13th to the 17th. Obviously, it's right on the Universal property, which is where the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is. So, not only do you get to go to a Harry Potter fan conference, you also get to go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park. So, we're going to be there. We're going to be doing um, at least one live podcast. We're going to be doing a... The plans right now, or the, the idea right now, is to do a leaky mug with our friends from Pottercast uh, to either before, I don't know. The, the plans are kind of early right now, but the, the news is that we will be going to LeakyCon. Uh, we highly recommend going to LeakyCon.com. Check it out. You really should consider going to this. If you've ever been to a fan symposium before, you know how much fun these are. You're surrounded by... Um, tons of Harry Potter fans. Everybody's just really friendly. It's it's a great, great atmosphere, and everyone always has so much fun. I'm going to run through some of the details about LakeyCon right now. Registration is open right now uh, through t- February 28th. It's $200. You have to be 13 to go, but 18 to go without a chaperone. And currently, they have um, they have a white pass, which allows parents to go as chaperones uh but they it it's at no cost to them so they can still you know since some people need a chaperone they can still go but the parents don't have to uh pay as long as they have the white pass special guests so far us star kid who we talked about on a recent episode of MuggleCast. they're going to be doing a special performance as well as a q a the potter puppet pals will also also be attending there will be a lit day it's it's a big um like a, a conference within a conference. It's going to be a bunch of speakers talking about uh, literature, of course. And there's going to be a keynote during Lit Day by Arthur Levine, the editor at Scholastic. He's been a big player in the Harry Potter books. So it's going to be very cool to hear from him. There's also going to be 12 wizard rock bands over two shows, um, including Harry and the Potters and Draco and the Malfoys. There's going to be the premiere of Finding Hogwarts, which is a documentary uh, put together actually by a couple friends of ours. Um, there's also going to be a final battle performance. It, it was a musical that premiered at Infinitus last year. They're doing it again. Uh, plus, those people are putting on another new musical. And there's a bunch of other things as well. Quidditch, uh, arts and crafts, meetups, tons of programming about Harry Potter. And more soon to be announced. So obviously, a lot of details there. Just go to LeakyCon.com. You'll find all the information you need. 
as it is still pretty early, a lot of the plans aren't set in stone yet, but from what they've told us they're planning, it is really going to be an amazing event. You will not want to miss this one. Well, there there was one thing that you left out, Andrew, I think. There, there's going to be a movie, right? Yes, well, <laughs> right around that say, time. This, the LeakyCon is happening over the release of part two. So there's going to be a big group trip to the movie theater at midnight to see the in film. In IMAX. And in IMAX at the beautiful Universal uh, theaters. Did you guys see a movie there? I saw I saw Toy Story yeah, 3 saw, in their downtown um, area. We saw Inception at midnight because Inception came out during Infinitus. Um, funny story is that the whole group I was with all fell asleep during it. Um, <laughs> except for me. I stayed up. Well, I saw I saw Toy Story at these movie theaters. It is honestly one of the most gorgeous screens I've ever seen a film on. Uh, they're huge and they're just it must be a digital projection. It's just beautiful. So you're going to be seeing part two with some of the biggest Harry Potter fans as well, which is cool in and of itself. Because when you're watching with all these hardcore Harry Potter fans, you're going to be laughing, crying at you know some of the strongest emotional moments in the film, possibly cursing. Possibly cursing, depending on, depending on how it was adapted. And also, finally, I know this is a lot of details, but this just shows you how big LeakyCon is. Um, they're going to be planning a private park event. It's not going to be included in registration, but they will be offering a ticket that allows you into the park earlier in the day, plus access to the private park event. And that's going to be an after-hours event where only... Um, attendees of LeakyCon will be able to go in to the to the Wizarding World and just spend time with each other. And uh, that'll be announced. The details about that will be announced in the coming months. So again, LeakyCon.com, July 13th to the 17th in Orlando, Florida, taking place at the Royal Pacific uh, Resort right on Universal property. The room block is sold out. Um, they're sold out of the LeakyCon block of rooms but they have opened up another block of rooms at the crown plaza so just visit leakycon.com again for all the information and when you do go to register use refer referral code muggle we're all familiar with that code uh, <laughs> over the years use it use it use muggle m-u-g-g-l-e when you go to register uh we'll have more details save about 10% what- on your dot com domain <laughs> <laughs> oops wrong, well, um, wrong one We'll have more details about what we'll be doing there um, in the coming months. But it's going to be a huge, awesome, really fun event. I can't wait. Cool. So we'll be talking about that leading up. Oh, <laughs> sorry. One other thing I want to mention. The, uh, there's going to be a ball. And the the dance is always, I think, the highlight of the conference for me. Because everybody's just together in one giant room. And they're playing that leaky kind of some really cool. Uh, events planned for the ball as well as the opening and closing festivities cool. so go if if you guys are looking for something to do go to LeakyCon. this is going to be really really special i promise you you will have the time of your life LeakyCon.com referral code muggle okay now now that i'm out of breath I get to do the first chapter here, or chapter by <laughs> chapter this week. This, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done this. We're doing, uh, chapters 24, 25, and 26 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. The first chapter is Rita Skeeter's Scoop. So the chapter opens with Harry 
struggling to find out what the clue is that the egg is holding because the second task is coming up and he still has no idea what he can expect. He's reluctant to take Cedric's advice because he finds it to be silly. But is that kind of like immature of Harry, I feel? Like he has no idea what, where to be looking for clues, yet he finds Cedric's clue to be so stupid. Well, why would Cedric lie to him? I mean, Cedric got this clue and, and he and he gave it to Harry through Moody, we find out later, but it, you know, Harry has helped him with the first task. It would make sense that Cedric would in turn help Harry out with this task. And I think, again, we talked about this was it the last show or two shows ago? I think it has a lot to do with Cho Chang and, and his feelings towards Cedric are, are kind of uh, maybe a little bit bitter. Bitter, yeah, compared to where they were right around the first task. So I think that that plays into it. Yeah, he has no reason not to trust Cedric, but, you know, he kind of invents reasons. And in the meantime, so like eventually he does take Cedric's advice, but in the meantime, these other events of this chapter are going on. So it's kind of like. Um, Harry hasn't forgotten about the egg, but he, he has put it on the back burner, as it were. Which is kind of funny, because you cook eggs on, on a burner. So shortly after that, at Care of Magical Creatures, Harry learns that Hagrid won't be teaching the lesson. He asks uh, Grubbly Plank what the deal is with Hagrid, but she won't say. But they end up learning that Hagrid is embarrassed by the article written by Rita Skeeter, who paints Hagrid in a very bad light. And the full article is in the book, and it's a you know, pretty lengthy write-up. And it, you know, it was just cruel what Rita did. And even though later in this chapter we see Dumbledore really trying to confront Hag- or console Hagrid, because uh, he knows Hagrid's really upset that all this information got out, do you think Dumbledore was somewhat disappointed by the fact that Hagrid did talk to Rita Skeeter and the fact that, you know, this information did get out. If Dumbledore were a true friend, he would squash Rita Skeeter like a bug. Well, and we hear he <laughs> banned her from the school, but shouldn't he have? Shouldn't she have been banned earlier? This seems like kind of late. She still hangs yeah, out in the school. I, I think, though, that the Hagrid has a very unassuming personality. So, you know, he doesn't, just like Dumbledore, he doesn't see the, the negative side of people, and he does have that trustworthy quality to him. So when he was talking to Rita, he probably didn't think anything of it. Um, but that's also surprising to me, too, because clearly she's been around for a long time and she's been writing these kind of articles. So to think that, you know, she would go to Hagrid and write an article that would be in a positive light, you know, is, is pretty dense on the part of Hagrid to think that way. So I would imagine that Dumbledore is, is a bit disappointed. But as you said, why wasn't she kicked out previously? Clearly, she's not the only reporter that works uh, for the Daily Prophet, or the only paper that's around, you could think that they could get a more seasoned, qualified person to to write and cover this tournament. Don't they have a, a sports writer or something They're out right, there? Sports writer. <laughs> but yeah, no, like a quidditch. You would think like a quidditch writer yeah. for the paper could go and cover the Triwizard. Exactly. Tournament. So uh, after after this lesson, getting back into the plot here, Parvati says she enjoyed the class because she actually got to learn about a magical creature. Uh, they had learned about a unicorn that day, and that kind of upsets Harry and Ron because, uh, you know, they miss Hagrid, and they, they're upset that people are, are enjoying Hagrid not being present. But I have to say, even I had this sort of feeling when I was a kid in school sometimes. You know, you really like a teacher, but then 
you don't like how maybe you're 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 never on task with anything. Yeah. You're always sort of like <laughs> it's just a mess. The teaching style is a mess. Yeah, I've had those teachers too, where you know it's like you like the teacher, but what do you really learn? You know, except to have fun. It's kind of it's kind of like it's kind of like that. Well, they also have a strong personal tie to Hagrid, which you know that's a a completely different uh, element mm. to add into it. So a week goes by and they don't see Hagrid at all. And Harry goes to uh, Hogsmeade and hopes that he'll run into him. Uh, but instead, he runs into Mr. Bagman, who reveals Barty Crouch has gone missing. And the excuse is, Percy says that he's ill. Uh, but then Bagman says he's taken a liking to Harry, and as such, he'd like to help him, help point him in the right direction for the next task. Harry doesn't take the offer, and, he, and he's not sure why he says no. But this is just another piece of evidence we see and the ongoing list of reasons why the Triwizard Tournament is really corrupt. Yeah. I mean, it's just a bunch of cheating and rule breaking. Everybody wants to help Harry. Yeah, and I and I don't think that Harry trusts Bagman's character too much. Well, he sees uh, what he, he says so what you he think does he to did. the Weasleys, you know. He still owes them money. Right, but I, does Harry know that at this point? I don't I don't think so, but doesn't Harry isn't Harry thinking, if I was Harry, I'd be worried that since I turned down the offer for advice, he'd be going to somebody else. I mean, Bagman does say he's taking a liking to Harry, but that would just worry me that the other people are getting help. So I think you got to play dirty to uh, stay in the game here. <laughs> yeah. Because if everybody's cheating, you have to cheat too. But what I mean in terms of trusting his character, though, is, uh, is I don't think, I think he's a bit suspicious of why... Bagman is coming to him saying that he's willing to offer his help. I think I think Harry just has trouble um, first accepting that somebody takes a liking specifically to him, and two, like he doesn't want to associate with those kinds of people, you know, who treat him special. He never wanted to be treated special. He just wants to be just Harry. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a good point, and we see that more and more as the books go on, of course. So moving along, while talking over what just happened with Ron and Hermione. Rita Skeeter enters the Three Broomsticks, and we hear her trying to put together a story about Bagman based on what she just saw with him talking to the goblins. And uh, so Harry gets really fed up about this, and Harry calls her out for writing the, the poor article on Hagrid. And Rita, Hermione, and Harry end up throwing insults back and forth at each other. Uh, Rita, you know, calling a her, her calling Hermione a little girl and so forth. And I gotta say, now that the Wizarding World theme park does exist, I was totally picturing this happening in the actual Wizarding World <laughs> three broomsticks. Like, like people, you know, somebody portraying Hermione and somebody portraying Rita. Yeah. yeah. And then I started thinking, like, people should reenact these scenes <laughs> in the Wizarding World park. That'd be so that cool. That would be cool. <laughs> so they leave Hogsmeade and head back to Hagrid's hut. And while pounding on the door, it finally opens, but it's Dumbledore who answers. And it turns out Dumbledore was there to console Hagrid, which sort of answers our question earlier. I mean, if Dumbledore was that upset about this article, I don't think he would have been spending so much time with Hagrid, because uh, we we see that we see that Dumbledore is sort of trying to talk him out of out of his misery, and the trio try to help as well. But and Hagrid does eventually come around when he hears that Harry is making good progress on the egg clue, even though that's a complete lie. But this does make Harry realize, okay. It's time to go and take up Cedric's offer. I think I think it's more that Dumbledore is angry with Hagrid's reaction to the article than he is with the fact that the article was even published. You know, Hagrid yeah. kind of buries his head in the sand and doesn't want to teach class. And so 
Uh, you know, Dumbledore is always there, I think, to pick people up. He talks about all the letters that have been sent in support of Hagrid. Uh, but I wanted to ask, you know, why does Harry feel so guilty, though, about lying to Hagrid about the egg, but not necessarily when he's talking to Ron or Hermione? Mm, he knows Hagrid. Hagrid's more of a, a parental figure, if you can imagine that. But 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 it's basically, you know, he doesn't want to let an adult down who who trusts him. You know, his friends are his peers. You know, they share a lot of the same issues. But but Hagrid, who who is in a weakened state, you know, the only way Harry cheers him up is by lying to him. That 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 can't feel good. I mean, I think by him taking Cedric's advice, by him deciding to take Cedric's advice, he realizes that this is, you know, there's so much evil in the world right now. You just got to take the advice from someone who seemed to be, you know, innocently given. You know, he he realizes that Cedric probably doesn't have it in for him, but people like Rita um, are the people in this world who have who have who do have it out for people. All right, well, let's move on now to chapter 25. Right. And I have to say, on a behind-the-scenes note, Eric is notorious for writing a long list of notes, but for this chapter, he wrote the shortest list of notes we have ever seen him produce, (laughs) which does not mean he's getting lazy. It just means... It was a short chapter. It's it's Eric. I applaud you. It was well. I know it must have been hard to keep the notes so thanks. short. Thanks. The um, the 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 chapter is really two events um that that happen, and there are interesting tidbits of information in, in in you know here and there, which is good. Um, first, Harry does decide to take up Cedric's advice, and he. <laughs> Tickles the statue of Boris the Bewildered, or he mentions the incantation. It's this guy, Boris the Bewildered, is this statue at Hogwarts. He looks a little lost, and he has his gloves on the wrong hands. So, I thought that was funny. And Harry gains access to the prefect's bathroom. His immediate reaction is that it would be worth becoming a Hogwarts school prefect just to be able to use this bathroom. And the reason is, it's this large, I want to say swimming pool, it's this large rectangle the size of a swimming pool, and there are about a hundred taps, each with a different color of jewel-encrusted faucets, basically. Uh, What did you guys think of this bathroom? I I know, I mean, as far as bathrooms go, it it sounds pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not dwell on the top of bathrooms. I guess that that was an inappropriate question. I can't can't trust you guys to be mature about this. All right. Um, So anyway, Harry, uh, the the instructions are to take the egg into the bathroom, um, which Harry does. And Harry opens the egg, and still nothing happens. So... He decides to go for a swim. Soon enough, he meets Moaning Myrtle, who, it is revealed, happens to spy on people um, in the prefect's bathroom. I guess prefects are hot or something. But Moaning Myrtle is spying on Harry. Harry feels pretty violated. Um, but she reveals uh, a few things. She actually hints to him that he needs to put the egg under the water um, in order to hear the clue, which Harry does. Um, but in the meantime, or that, that gets him thinking, well, what sort of, you know, creature can I only hear underwater? A few minutes later, he realizes, oh, mer people. So Harry's theory is that mer people will somehow play a role in the, se- in the second task. Um, but he asks Myrtle if there are mer people in the lake, and she says, yes, she 
sometimes runs into them when she's not expecting it and somebody flushes the toilet that she lives in. So I guess this means that the toilets of Hogwarts dump into the lake. Seems seems pretty uh normal, no? I mean Well really? Well where do you think all ours goes? <laughs> well <laughs> that big blue know. thing in between us and England. <laughs> this is a very gross chapter. <laughs> Well, for you, it goes between, uh, you know, you and Hawaii out there. It goes through. (laughs) I assume there are processing facilities. Um, Yeah, of course. There's septic tanks and waste management facilities. This is a crappy chapter. Um, Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing about Myrtle that we learned, which is kind of cool, is that... um, She's talking about Harry. She tries to guilt Harry for not visiting her. And she remembers um, the story of Olive Hornby discovering her body. So Olive Hornby, if you remember from Chamber of Secrets, was the girl who was always teasing Moaning Myrtle about her glasses. Um, It turns out that Olive was the one who actually went to find Myrtle. One of the teachers sent Olive Hornby to, to go find Myrtle, and Olive went entered the, the, the bathroom on the second floor and asked, Myrtle, are you still in here crying? Um, and at that point, I guess the ghost of Moaning Myrtle decided that she was going to haunt, haunt Olive Hornby and even made an appearance at Olive Hornby's brother's wedding. Uh, Moaning Myrtle is recounting this story to Harry, uh, who doesn't really care, and uh, she gets cut off, though. She cuts herself off and says, But then Olive Hornby went to the Ministry of Magic, and that they made me come back to Hogwarts and dwell in my toilet. So apparently, the Ministry of Magic has some kind of power over ghosts, over this this realm of the, the, the almost unseen, because somehow they were able to force Moaning Myrtle to stop haunting, or stalking, as, as Moaning Myrtle says, Olive Hornby. What do you guys think? And what kind of power do they have over ghosts? Clearly a lot. I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't know. It just seems... Uh, this is a situation, though, where a ghost is clearly harassing somebody, you know, haunting them. What are you going to do? Slap them on the wrist? Ghosts do. Won't, won't, yeah, it, won't I mean, it go right through them? <laughs> you know? But, yeah, exactly. But the point is, uh, th- they obviously have a means of being able to control them. And in some cases, obviously, with the case of Peeves, he's a poltergeist, so it's a little bit different. How different, I don't know. But, yeah, Myrtle is just a ghost that is obnoxious. And uh, are you forced, though? I mean, I guess not when just looking at the house goes. You're not forced to necessarily be in the place where you're killed. You're you're able to be mobile, and that's proven by the fact that she does go to the wedding. But I would think, though, for the majority of, of their afterlife, they would have to spend it in a place where... Uh, you know, they're not necessarily bothering a whole lot of people. I don't know. So, so you're saying the fact that they, they shoot her back to the toilet is actually cruel and unusual punishment? In a way, yeah, I, th- I think so. Because, you know, she's forced to live here now. Some ministry has, or some ministry decree has been passed saying, you must stay here. I mean, what if she just wants to go off of Hogwarts grounds? She can't do that So anymore. now she's always reliving, in a sense, the moment of her death. By, by... I think they know their placement, too. Like, they know the limits, and I think they all sort of respect Dumbledore in some capacity, so uh, in that regard, they, you know, they stay within 
reason in terms of behavior. Well, do you think that um, do you think that the ministry? Do you think that the power that the ministry has over ghosts comes from their studying of the veil and the afterlife, like from the Department of Mysteries? Possibly. I mean, I I don't think though. If Myrtle wanted to go back and you know haunt Olive Hornby for the rest of her life, what's preventing her from doing that? What is the ministry, like you said before, actually going to do? I mean, they they probably what asked her nicely to go back to Hogwarts, <laughs> well, I, but I, I got but the... how do you, how do you impose that restriction? I mean, the ghost can, you know, it it's not going to be impacted by any spell that that's cast at it. That's the real question, though. What magic? Because she gives the impression that they forced her to go back to Hogwarts. It's not just they ask nicely. What is a ghost? What reasons does a ghost have for listening to a ministry that ministers to the living? You know. They're dead. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. But, but obviously, Olive Hornby was still alive, and and Myrtle just wanted to haunt her, and that's it's obviously ill will. So apparently, somewhere there's a definition of what ghosts' purpose is uh, in in their afterlife. If they've chosen to walk the earth, apparently there's a, a you know rules still that they that they can't break. So I thought that was very interesting. So that's the first part of this chapter. The second part is what happens after Harry leaves the bathroom. He's about to go back to the Gryffindor dormitory, and he's under the cloak, carrying the egg in one hand and the Marauder's Map in the other. And he notices something on the Marauder's Map, a person pacing around in Snape's office that is not Snape. In fact, it is Bartimius Crouch, is what the the Marauder's Map... Now, in the previous chapter, as Andrew said, um, Barty Crouch is supposed to be sick, and missing in action, as it were, from from his duties at the Ministry. Why, Harry wonders, would he be in Hogwarts, especially at this late hour, obviously, you know, not invited, not welcome into Snape's office, which he's pacing. So Harry cannot resist the urge to investigate. Unfortunately, his leg gets caught in one of the staircases, in one of the, the trick stairs, and all hell breaks loose. He drops the egg, which wails, and he drops the map as well. So he's there with his foot stuck in a step. He's under the invisibility cloak, but both the map and the egg are out of his control. And soon, Filch shows up. But that's not enough. Soon after that, Snape shows up. And once they're talking about a student being out of bed, Snape, of course, suspecting Potter, Mad-Eye Moody shows up and says, What is this, a pajama party? And it's just this, this... gradual increase in suspense because Harry is we're, we're, we're forced to read Harry on the steps uh, you know not not being able to move and it's kind of I drew the parallel between this and the end of book six when when Harry can't move and he's he's sort of invisible and and, and can't you know react to anything but but he's in a lot of danger right here and and I didn't know if you guys had anything specific you wanted to bring up but I just thought that this was very interesting how the suspense gradually lifts and then at the only at the very end does it of the chapter does it really release well this is this scene doesn't even take place in the movie right right no well it's not uncommon though for Snape to suspect Harry I mean there's a champion's egg that's lying out here, and, and sure, you can put it on Peeves, but there's a good chance that it's Harry, because you know the other two champions that are not from the school aren't in Hogwarts to begin with. Cedric is probably not somebody who's going to be out roaming 
in the corridors in the middle of the night. So, and and once Snape sees the Marauder's map, I mean that that's a clear indication to him after what happened in Prisoner of Azkaban that it's Harry. Yeah. So Snape did have that. I bad don't understand. Experience. Yeah. Why didn't he? You know, do some sort of spell or 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 curse or or oh, something I think he was to, about to reveal Harry's presence. I know until uh, Mad Eye Moody uh, shows up, and but, and and Mad Eye says to him, "I think Dumbledore would be concerned that you're always trying to harm Mister Potter, or or something. To, you know, words to that effect." Where Moody obviously Moody can see Harry, and that's the first thing Harry realizes is because Moody's eye goes straight to him and his mouth kind of gapes open a little bit before he first speaks. But, um, you know, the interesting thing is that Moody actually helps Harry out of the situation. But when Snape is like inches from Harry and Harry is worried that he just took a bath. So he smells nice, I think. And, and like, that's, that's what he's worried about that Mrs. Norris, because I I think it's even confirmed in the beginning of the, the scene Harry's wondering, again, if Mrs. Norris can see through the cloak, but by the end of the, the scene, he's realized that she just detects the smell of him, that there's this perfumey pink bubble bath that Harry's just been taking is now working against him. Um, so the moral of the story is don't take baths. Right. Or, well, but if you smell like, you know what, you can also uh, have a stench emanating from you as well. That's just true. look at Snape. That's... <laughs> but... Uh, this this is an interesting part though because of what who, he shows up on the Marauder's map and I thought that should have been a huge clue to Harry especially after what happened in the last book where there are people showing up on the map that aren't supposed to be there and the fact that you know in the last book you were dealing with Animagus but in this book you're dealing with somebody who's using Polyjuice potion I'm just surprised that that Harry wasn't more apt to think and then later on in the next chapter Hermione or Ron that Maybe it's somebody who is just not who they appear to be. Well, I guess that is the excuse, is that maybe Harry's not aware of this long-term trans, trans, transformation type of magic where, you know, Barty Crouch could pose as Mad-Eye for so Additionally, long. though, he thinks it's Barty Crouch Sr. And the trick here is that the Marauder's map, obviously a senior and a junior share the exact same name. Uh, or for exact first and last name. So, Bartimius Crouch, Harry doesn't have enough information to piece this together because he doesn't, as far as I'm aware, he doesn't know about Barty Crouch Jr.'s existence. Um, I think Snape, or Sirius, at one point did say about Barty Crouch, he threw his own son in Azkaban, but I don't think that scene has happened yet where he really tells the story. I think that happens in the cave. And, you know, that's after Harry suspects Barty Crouch Sr. is is at the works. And Moody, uh, a.k.a. Barty Crouch Jr., says to Harry, um, pretending to be Moody, that, you know, you think I'm bad at wanting dark wizards b- beyond bars. Barty Crouch Sr. is worse. Um, you know, so, so Harry... It's very interesting that, you know, Harry and Moody have this exchange, and, um, you know, if there's nothing else, I'll I'll end the chapter, but... Um, I just thought that this this scene was interesting, but it's really the only thing that happens in this chapter. Yeah. Well, just the last point that you have there, I think it's interesting that Barty Crouch Jr. is suggesting that Harry become an Auror. Yeah. And that's and that's the that's the real irony almost. And and I think it's revisited in in book six, I believe, where where Harry's like, oh yeah, that guy was a criminal. That's kind of weird. But you know, it's it's one of those interesting things about Barty Crouch Jr.'s character that. You know, he would suggest 
to Harry. The the other important thing happened is is that Moody has the map, and this is actually a plot hole in the books. It's a book mistake that um, Moody never gives Harry's map back to him. Uh, and in book five, um, there's a scene where Harry pulls out the map. Uh, just randomly, like he already had it on his person, but it's never written how Harry get that gets that map back. Um, so that's interesting. But that was really all I had all for right. this chapter. Next chapter, chapter 26, the second task. Uh, as I mentioned before, I've done the first task, the unexpected task, and now the second task. <laughs> yeah, Micah dibs. Here's more behind the scenes. Micah's like, Hey guys, I'm dibbing the third task. <laughs> the third task. He's like, I got dibs. All right. I did all these other stupid tasks. So, as I mentioned earlier, Harry and uh, Ron and Hermione are discussing this confrontation that happened the previous night between Snape and Mad Eye Moody. And Ron seems really interested in Snape's second chance uh, that was mentioned during their conversation. Uh, and, of course, we later learn that Snape is being given a second chance because he was, in fact, a Death Eater. But Hermione seems more concerned in why an ill Barty Crouch Sr. was nosing around at Hogwarts. And it's interesting that that's exactly what Harry was thinking. So Harry and Hermione are of the same thought, uh, as opposed to Ron, who's kind of focusing in on Snape. And it's interesting that Hermione is the one who uses Lupin and Hagrid as a defense to Ron's argument about, you know, Snape getting the second chance. But she's right. I mean, you, you know, Hogwarts is kind of the island of misfit toys in terms of professors. You have Lupin, who's a werewolf. You have Hagrid, who's a half-giant, and, uh, you know, who was accused of opening the Chamber of Secrets. So Dumbledore is, is very much in favor of giving people second chances. Yeah. Mike, Mike yeah, just, and he's yeah, a, go ahead, Andrew. I think he's always sort of preached the whole acceptance of everyone sort of angle, which, of course, is always an overarching theme in the Harry Potter books. Micah just made a Christmas so, reference. You know. Yes. That was cool. The Island of Misfit Toys. Yeah, yes. but you're right, and I think Snape's second chance is... In that scene, Snape grabs for his arm when Moody... You know, so it's, 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 it's like, it's, it's almost very obvious if you knew what you were looking for, for Harry, you know, the mystery would be solved. But Hermione's right, I think, to, to be more concerned about Barty Crouch nosing around. Because, you know, to think about it, if his presence isn't known, he's pretty much like Sirius Black, being in the castle when he doesn't belong. You can't just apparate in and out of Hogwarts, so it's almost like how do you appear and disappear so quickly, um, is, right. is probably a really big concern. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so Hagrid does return to teaching classes, and, and based upon what I read, he actually gives a pretty good lesson uh, where people are learning about uh, the creatures uh, that, that he's showing them, the unicorn still, uh, and he seemed to be pretty knowledgeable uh, for the first time, I think, in, in quite a while, and doesn't have a bunch of blast-ended scroots running around blowing themselves and students up. So I think this is a refreshed Hagrid who sort of has a new outlook or like a a cleansed he, outlook he, on He did his homework the night before and uh, was ready yeah. to teach class. Yeah. So uh again there's this uh, interaction between Hagrid and Harry. Hagrid's asking him how he's coming along uh in terms of the second task, but but now he faces the the issue of trying to figure out how he's going to survive for a period of an hour underneath the the lake. So 
uh, and we talked a little bit about this before in terms of Harry feeling bad about lying to Hagrid. You guys seem to think he was more of a parental figure, so that that was one of the questions that I had. Was he more of a, a of a parental figure or more of like kind of a big brother? Because just based on how mature Hagrid comes across, to me he seems more of kind of the big brother. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I would I would call it fatherly just because Hagrid's always very proud of Harry. And I think you see fatherly characteristics in that over big brotherly. So, yeah, I would say fatherly and just, just the, the, the difference in, in the, the connection, the relationship connection, you know, Hagrid having worked with his parents in the past, uh, I would, I would call it fatherly. Yeah. And I mean, he does, he does get, he does get drunk and, and the trio has to like dip him in a, in a tub of cold water, you know, and it's, it's kind of, I don't know, I guess you do that for your brother too, but I think there's, there's just such an age difference that, you know, Hagrid, as, as Andrew said, traipsed around with Harry's parents, but also, um, the trio, you know, wasn't even of drinking age at that time. And, you know, here they are taking care of Hagrid, um, who's mothering a dragon, that sort of thing. So I, I do think it's more fatherly. So he, so he's like a drunk uncle. Is that what you're saying? Like a drunk uncle. If they're, if they have drunk <laughs> uncle were an option, I think drunk uncle would be Hagrid completely. Okay. Uh, so as I mentioned, what's happening is they're, they're trying to help Harry figure out how in the world he's going to be able to compete in this task underwater. And they're searching the library for hours and hours and hours on end. They get McGonagall's permission to go into the uh, restriction section and why is this such a hard task to crack? Thinking about breathing underwater. I mean, there's a couple options that come up, but Harry's not advanced enough uh, in terms of being able to uh, perform certain charms, transfiguration, things like that. But there has to be a simple solution to this. Was it just a matter of them working too hard, you guys think? Were they overlooking maybe an easy solution to this? Yeah. <laughs> well, why would there be a spell or a charm to breathe under to breathe underwater? Like, where would it be useful. I, I feel like the wizards in the wizarding world aren't like muggles where, you know, we have deep sea divers and, and people who are really interested in how the earth formed and they'll they'll need a solution to go down underwater to the depths of the, the earth. But like wizards, wizard kind, they almost you know, we only see spells and charms that have practical uses for sort of their nomadism. You know, it's, it's not, it's not exactly like, they never rooted down, so there really wouldn't need to be a reason to breathe underwater, almost, for, for a wizard. Um, because it's not. Well, clearly there are people that live at the bottom of, of the lake, and I'm sure they live in, in other underwater places around the wizarding world, too, so you would think that, you know, Dumbledore apparently converses with the mer people on, on quite a regular basis, so. So you're thinking as a, as a sort of magical creatures getting to know, you know, other races of, of creatures that that would have a use for people learning. Well, learning Mermish. Dumbledore knows Mermish. Why does he know Mermish? Well, I don't know. But that would be a reason to have a device that allows you to breathe underwater? Or well, re- same thing with, uh, say, there's plants, herbology, you know, the stu- being the study of them. You know, you have to go underwater to, to get some of these things. You know, how do, how do you achieve that? Well, I think, I think just all the, all the answers... Part of it has to do with Harry being 14 and not 17. So you're saying, like, what Crumb does, you know, transfigures his head into a shark is obviously a little bit more advanced uh, for Harry. But also, like, all the solutions, even Gillyweed, is is pretty rare. It's uncommon. The only only reasons 
Gillyweed is available is because Snape had it, you know, and his potions and sn- trust Snape to have those really obscure, you know, weeds. But I think that, that, that it is kind of a hard question. It's kind of a hard task. You know, there's no, they are, there only are obscure charms to do it. There's no real one quick, you know, this will help you breathe underwater. Uh-huh. So that presented No, that's a, a good point. Uh, but as you, uh, mentioned, uh, Harry does use gillyweed, which he's given to, uh, which is given to him by Dobby. And, uh, clear, uh, book movie difference here because it's Neville in the, in the movie, uh, who ends up giving it to him. I think in both, cl- in both the book and the movie, it was stolen from Snape's storage, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dobby steals it, uh, from Snape's storage. And, uh, so again, I think it's just a matter of them not wanting to put house elves on the uh, on the screen and have to pay Save for some them. money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Dobby also lets Harry know about his wheezy, uh, which Harry learns is is Ron who's been taken from him. And uh, now, did Harry know that it was Ron in the movie prior to going into the lake? Did they announce it? Right before they went underwater? No, I don't think... No. In the movie, I think you see Harry really shocked once he's in the water that he sees, you know, Ron and then Hermione. Right. So So the second task begins, and Harry's getting mocked by the crowd uh, when he's waiting for the gillyweed to take effect. He's not actually sure what's going to happen. I mean, Dobby, who has presented clear danger to him in the past, trying to save his life, has just given him this weed that he's supposed to eat and you know who knows what's going to happen but he does turn into uh don't say weed say gillyweed oh sorry <laughs> it sounds inappropriate <laughs> anyway he takes this gillyweed and uh he for all intents and purposes he turns into this human fish uh and he goes underwater and uh who does he run into but moaning myrtle at one point so she makes another cameo. Somebody must have flushed uh, her accidentally, Dad. <laughs> must have, yeah. Uh, you know, why, again, was she not included in the movie? We have Dobby not being included. Now well, she she's was. not included in this in this particular scene. Uh, you know, again, just a matter of staying true to the books. I know we can have that argument all day long, but it uh, would have been interesting because she points him in the right direction of where he's supposed to go. So, you know, he's getting this assistance uh, again, you know, in the task. So, uh, so Harry follows, uh, what Moaning Myrtle tells him to do. And I think it's in the book 20 minutes later, he arrives at what I call Mer People Square, uh, <laughs> sort of this little, little town under the water. And Harry sees Ron tied up and he remembers Sirius's knife. And I, you know, noted this is not the first time he has forgotten to use something Sirius gives him, or it actually is the first time that he forgets to use something Sirius gives him. Um, later on, we find out that, that he's pretty prone to not using things that Sirius <laughs> provides him with. Uh, yeah. The mirror being, of course, what I'm talking about. Yeah, does he just not give Sirius the credit he deserves? What's up with that? Well, I think it's he doesn't plan well. I mean, that's the thing. He's very impulsive. He's got that sort of saving people complex that Hermione refers to later after they, they get out of the lake. And, you know, if he would have thought about this task, he, he seems to be not focused in a way. And, yeah, but again, who knows why you would, you know, would you really think to bring a knife underwater with you? I, I probably wouldn't. 
I mean, if you had, yeah, I guess not. If you had more of an idea as to what would be going yeah, on, yeah. then maybe, yeah, you would. Uh, because you see when Crumb gets there to, to rescue Hermione, Harry helps him out with a rock uh, to, to free her. So none of them were prepared. Um, now now comes the big question, though. Why doesn't he just take Ron and leave? You know, this is a competition after, uh, you know, after all. And, you know, do you think the age discrepancy plays a role here? Is he a little bit too immature? You know, because later on we see Ron and Hermione tell him, well, you didn't really think that uh, Dumbledore was going to let us all die down there, did you? You know, it, what, what do you think plays into it here? Well, what's at stake? What I mean, that's the question. What is at stake? I mean, the riddle from the egg, and I'll read just the last two lines, says, But past an hour, the prospect's black. Too late, it's gone. It won't come back. Like... That sounds to me like they're going to kill some students. Like, really, it it does. And the movie doesn't really make that clearer because, you know, Harry obviously tries to save everybody and the Mer people don't like that. But it really seems like they were going to drown these, these people, these students. And I don't, I don't think I ever understood that in, in, in this chapter. But, I mean, see, I don't know if I agree with that because... You know, Cedric comes, he takes Cho. Crumb comes, he takes Hermione without a second thought. And and I think, you know, they're more mature in terms of age and they realize, well, this is a competition and that, you know, I don't really need to be bothered with anybody else because in the end of the day, past an hour, chances are anybody who hasn't made it there, they're going to free whomever is, is captive down here. I mean, so, so, so I think you, you, so you're saying Harry's kind of naive. To think that, yeah, yeah, I think he is, and I think he's not focusing on what the the competition is about, and that's getting out of the water first. Well, is the competition about that? Because Harry gets awarded these special points for being a hero. Well, and we can talk about that too. We can talk about does he really deserve those points? Well, why would Dumbledore give them if there wasn't some kind of? It's like it's like almost a pat on the back. Like, nice try, Harry. You didn't really get the point of the competition, but because you're a hero, we all love you. Like that's what Harry. Right, like, did. here's some extra credit. You know. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So Harry, I guess, became confused over the nature of the the competition. You know, he he believes, and I don't think he's wrong in doing so. That this is the Triwizard Tournament. This is this is the the tournament that people die in, like. Historically, that's happened. And so he really feels as though uh, Floor will not get her sister back if... Yeah, it, it's in Harry's character to, to make this sort of move. So well, I think... Yeah, you're right. But it, part of it, I think, Eric, you said the word before, is he's a bit naive. He's a bit immature when it, when it comes to realizing what's going on. And that saving hero complex is kind of clouding his decision-making. Much like it does in Order of the Phoenix when, you know, he, he mistakenly goes to try and rescue Sirius when he's not really in trouble. Well, to be fair, he did go and use the fireplace to make sure that Sirius wasn't there um, in, in Book 5. But I think, you know, Dumbledore has to chat with the Mer people, you know, to get the full picture. And the Mer people tell Dumbledore of Harry's heroism. But I, it's just it's just weird because I don't think it's ever clarified that they were actually not in danger, that that the the, the people who were taken were not going to die. I mean, it just seems so plausible. I think to Harry that 
if he doesn't rescue these characters, okay. they will die. Well, uh, just a couple, couple more quick points in this chapter. Um, you know, what does it say about these mer people that they uh, clearly fear magic? You know, when Harry takes out his wand, they back off immediately. What do you think has happened over the years to make them react in such a way? That's a really good question. Could they? Hmm. I I mean, one theory that kind of doesn't take that into consideration is: were they told by the organizers to act this way to be on the attack? I mean, I like obviously with the dragons, they're being protective of their egg. That makes sense, but. What about the mer people could upset them other than, you know, just being told to be this way? Or maybe they just don't like wizards in their habitat. You know, it's... But then why agree to this is the other thing. Like, why agree they, to though? be... Well, yeah, they must have. I mean, mustn't they have? They've tied up these, you know, what we took is is in the the poem. I think I think it took tremendous cooperation between Dumbledore and the Burr people to set this whole up whole thing up, especially because they're like, we're gonna have strangers swimming through your territory. Like, that's a pretty big deal. But if you don't tell them, then wouldn't that be a reason for being pissed? <laughs> yeah, it would, I guess. But, well, I, but they're like, not really pissed. They're they're fearful. I mean, when Harry, you know basically threatens them with the wand they're they're they all scatter away well one of the interesting things was when harry's losing his gills and he still speaks and they can understand him but he can't understand them above water you know like they, like he can somehow communicate underwater they're just like these different creatures and i think we know that the ministry of magic has prevented all non-humans from wielding a wand even if they have inherent magic like house elves have powerful, powerful magic, but they're not allowed. And, and, and goblins have magic, but they're not allowed. And this is an issue of contention for goblins to, to use a wand. So to direct their magic. So I think mer people have long been denied a wand, even if say they have magic that they can do. Uh, you know, I think it's very, I think they're very fearful, um, because it, it because of the 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 power that a wizard would have over them um you know they're they're not able to conduct their magic in in such a way they would naturally be very fearful yeah. of of harry well it's possible also they've they've been threatened in some way in the past by by a wizard or a witch of some kind and and they this is how they react um and then i had a question about do you think more time is focused on figuring out the task as opposed to the task itself? You know, or is figuring it out part of the task? You know, because to me, this seems like a really straightforward task to handle. You know, you go underwater, you swim to this place, you rescue the person and you're out. There's no big obstacle. I think the biggest obstacle was figuring out how you were going to swim underwater. Yeah. But that's that. That's actually isn't that said uh, straight out in the book at some point that that really the real task is like figuring out what you're going to do about the task. You know, discerning the the whole point of the clue is to figure out what the task is, and and once you once you open the egg um, and learn how to do it, they tell you what the task is. So so from that point on, it's prep. It's all prep. Just like but 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 I'm saying it's the same with the first task. You have to get an egg out from under a dragon. You know, that's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, you just have to figure out what you're going to do about the dragon. And then Harry gets out of the lake with both Ron and Fleur's sister. They're up on the shore, and Crumb 
notices that there is a water beetle lodged in uh, Hermione's hair, which ends up being an important plot point later on in the series. And, of course, we mentioned earlier, there's the scores that are discussed amongst the judges, and Harry ends up getting extra points uh, for moral fiber, even though he ended up showing up outside the time limit because Harry was, of course, the first one to get there, but he waited until all four of the... uh, I call them hostages, for lack of a better term, uh, were rescued. Hostages. Well, well, that's my point: is that he was he was over time, and nobody was there to rescue Flora's sister. Like at that point, he was past time, and nobody was there. So going with the riddle, you know, past an hour, too late, it's gone. Goodbye. That's a pretty big deal. Like nobody was standing by to make sure that if the you know champions didn't make it, and and, and more to the point, when Fleur failed to collect her sister, her sister wasn't miraculously released by the Mer people. Well, yeah, so that, I, that I, is true. The time had expired, uh, but I guess they were waiting for Harry to emerge from the water. And and I mean, we could have a conversation as we did earlier about did Harry actually deserve the extra points because in the rules of the competition. He didn't make it back in time, regardless of whether he was the first there or he cared about everybody else. I mean, I think he kind of got a little bonus where it wasn't necessary. But uh, he ends up being in a tie with Cedric for first. We learn, of course, that the next task will take place at sundown on June the 24th, and they will learn about what the task will be a month beforehand. But Harry is just excited that the second task is out of the way, and... Uh, he mentions that uh, if next time he is in uh, Hogsmeade, he is going to buy Dobby a pair of socks for every day of the year uh, because of what Dobby was able to do for him. So that's uh, where Chapter 26 ends. Okay. Well, moving on now to our Twitter question of the week. It's getting back to some news we talked about at the top of the show. What are your thoughts on the DVD and Blu-ray release of Deathly Hallows Part 1? Uh, Dodgeroo54 wrote, I know that Blu-ray will eventually become the norm, but for those of us who don't have Blu-ray yet, give us all the extras on the DVD. Again, I agree just, with that. Well, just buy that three-pack and you get the DVD. It's only a couple extra dollars more. Uh, Brianna Seleski says, I'm excited as always for more footage, but disappointed that some scenes, such as the scene with Crumb, are missing. That's a good point. I mean, they brought in Crumb for filming. Why not Put them on the deleted scenes, at least. That's another example of a scene that I saw that was not... Yeah, not deleted scene. Gracie huh. wrote, I think the deleted scenes look awesome, but I don't mind that they were left out. Elisa Marie Parsons wrote, It's exciting, but I hate being basically forced to buy the combo pack. Whatever happened to special two-disc DVDs? Lol. <laughs> oh, they are they are a thing in the past. We should we should it's play changing. music for the, for the <laughs> long, long-lost two-disc DVD, right? It's we changing should. times. It's we changing we actually times. we're gonna have some music to play coming up, Eric. You better get it ready. Oh, who, who dies? Barty Crouch Senior. Megan Smith wrote, "Would you rather see commentary or bloopers on the DVDs? If you pick commentary, who would you want to hear from other than JKR?" See, if everybody everybody remembers, there was a commentary with Half Blood Prince exclusively for people who have Blu-ray players. It was a live commentary, so it was really cool. Everybody got to watch the Blu-ray. As David Barron and Dan Radcliffe spoke, um, but the the problem with it was they weren't really talking about what was going on as we all were watching. They were mainly talking about like different questions that people had sent in. So they should do another one of those, but 
There hasn't been any announcements yet, so we'll see. Abby Cream wrote, The Harry and Dudley scene, because I love how as much they seem to hate each other, they end on good terms. Tear. That was a weird sentence, but... It's Twitter. What do you expect? <laughs> Come on. 140 characters. Abigail Kurnowski wrote, I was hoping the deleted scenes would include the ones that were supposed to be something out of Saw. And Holst wrote, sure hope they cut those deleted scenes due to time and not because they were bad. Mike Fitzgerald wrote, I get that WB wants people to buy the Blu-ray, but putting next to no special features on the DVD is ridiculous. I agree. And finally, Evelyn V. Charles wrote, I'm excited to see the Dudley and Petunia scenes and wonder why they would take them out of the movie. The pacing. It just messed up the pacing. Okay, let's move on to Muggle Mail now. Micah, can you read the first one? Yeah, first email from Erin32 of Washington State. And she says, hey, guys, I just listened to episode 219 and I had a little feedback. First, you asked if the Yule Ball was only meant for sixth or seventh year kids or if it was only extended because Harry was in the tournament. Dress robes were on Harry and Ron's list of required things for the year to have. Mrs. Weasley says the dress robes were on their list, but not why they were needed. Uh, Also, you did a good job with the chapter when Harry and Ron are trying to get dates to the dance. I think Hermione in the Yule Ball chapter was really happy with her body image as well as her good luck at snagging Victor Crumb. I think that once she started getting to know him, she could see a bit better why all the other girls were infatuated with him. Anyway, that was my interpretation. Thanks for reading. Love from Aaron. So, uh, there you go. Because remember last episode, I asked if the uh, age of the Yule Bowl was extended just because Harry had ended up being selected in the tournament. But oh, clear right. plot point that, that uh, Aaron brings up that, of course, they uh, had to have dress robes. So they would have been allowed. Eric, can you read the next email? This one comes from Caroline, age 17, of Clemson, South Carolina. I know a few people in Clemson. Hey, MuggleCasters, I was just listening to episode 219, and during the chapter-by-chapter, you guys said that you were surprised that Hermione was so affected by Malfoy's teasing that she shortened the length of her teeth. Hermione's a very strong character, but the fact of the matter is that she's a 14-year-old girl, and teenage girls are very self-conscious about their body image. No girl wants to be teased about the way they look, especially during the, quote, awkward teenage years. End quote. Maybe if this had happened later in Hermione's life, she would have just brushed it off <laughs> and left her teeth the way they are. Uh, thanks. Love the show. Caroline. Okay. Now, I think she brings up a good point. It's still a developing child, so... It's understandable. Next email comes from Luel, 17 of the Netherlands. I'm fairly new to MuggleCast, only up up until two days ago I started listening to it. I've been busy with downloading earlier episodes, and I really enjoy them. You're all great. However, you were talking about in which way Snape's death would be changed for something more dramatic and more fit for the theater. And one of you mentioned that it was also likely that when Harry gets the memories from Severus, he would not go all the way up to Dumbledore's office to view it in the pensive. Since there would be a war going on, it wouldn't make sense. I agree with I agree with you. That would be totally insane. But then I started thinking and started to doubt if this was really how the scene went in the book. Uh, so I looked it up, and there it is. After Snape's death, the new chapter starts, and as the trio makes their way back to the castle, Voldemort's voice is once again heard in the Hogwarts grounds. He then speaks directly to Harry and tells him his friends and students have got time to tend to the wounded, and that he expects Harry in exactly one hour in the Forbidden Forest. So Harry has got plenty of time to view Snape's memories. I would love to see this very scene in the movie, though. It's one of the most surprising chapters. Let's see what WB is going to make of it. 
Uh, okay, so so I was that was that was my mistake, but uh, so Harry um, uses that time that Voldemort says he got to go and do it do a history lesson. It still fell out of place to me, but I was wrong. Um, he's not. It's not during. It's not while people are dying. I don't get that. He's just like so because the enemies are loyal to Voldemort, they just stop attacking, and the students <laughs> stop well, attacking mean, how, just because how they... just because Voldemort says that they should. Like really. Well, how like, they script it in the movie, though, if, could be completely different, though. Just because that's yeah. how it is in the book doesn't mean that's how they're going to take it and translate it into the film. So many loved ones are dying, like Lupin and Tonks. Say one of them died first, the other one would... And then and then just as you're about to fight back and avenge your loved one, Voldemort says, okay, we're going to stop now. Uh, Harry Potter, uh, you have an hour. Meet me in the woods. I don't know. But yeah, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Luell. Um, I'll take the next one. This one comes from Sean23 of San Jose, California. In response to the blink and you'll miss it roll scene, um, I think he meant the way the movie Mission Impossible made it, uh, meant it way back in the day. The movie's tagline was something along the lines of, quote, if you blink, you will miss the whole movie, end quote. So what I think he meant is that there's going to be a lot of information spilling out all at once, and then if you don't pay close attention, you will miss parts of what he's saying. The HP movies tend to do this, have very fast dialogue, one of my biggest complaints from the movies, a.k.a. Shrieking Shack scene in Harry Potter 3, Sean. So we're still talking about the <laughs> actor. We're still talking about the actor who, who was cast as um, Aberforth Dumbledore, who described the role as blinking. Kieran Hines. It. Kieran Hines. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Last so, email. Yeah, but I, I think that was valuable feedback. All right. Go ahead, Micah. Last email comes from Anon. I think short for anonymous. Twenty-five of Seattle, Washington, and this is about strange places. Uh, people listen to MuggleCast. Hey guys, sorry I'm late with my submission, but I just finished listening to episode 219, The Outtakes, where you mentioned that it would be cool if someone from Apple listened to MuggleCast. While I can't say that I work at Apple building iPhones, I can do something similar. I work at Microsoft, and I listen to MuggleCast while coding, or like today, while I'm at a meeting. Sometimes the meetings drag on, I tend to put my headphones on, a hoodie on, and listen to MuggleCast from the back of a 60-people conference. Other times I'm writing code for an operating system software that you guys probably use, sorry, not allowed to say details, while listening to you make jokes. So next time you use the operating system, just think about that. Hey, that's wow. pretty cool. So I'm using what I assume is the operating system, and <laughs> I'm thinking of Anon right now. Oh, that's why it's anonymous. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Unless that's... his name is Anon, which would work perfectly, also. Well, the, the, the very fact that somebody somebody wrote in and told us that they exist, like really, that's my favorite thing ever. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, sending that in, Anon. Finally today, chicken soup for the fellow podcaster soul. This is from Drew. Kuthen23 of Southern California. Hi, my name is Drew, but everyone knows me as Payne. I've been listening to your show since I was a senior in high school in 2006. I love your show, and it's because of your podcast that gave me the courage to join a podcast. You guys always seem like you have fun, and I wanted to try it out. In 2010, I went to Anime Expo, and I was approached by one of the co-hosts of Kona Corner, a Naruto pot... Naruto? Naruto? A Maybe Naruto, yeah. Naruto podcast. And she said that there was an opening and that I should try out. After much thought, I gave it a shot. I know I am on, I know I am one of the co, I, I am now, now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I am now one of the co-hosts of 
Kona Corner. Thank you for giving me the courage and inspiration that I need to join a podcast. I love your show, and I hope you never stop making episodes. Your biggest fan and fellow podcaster, Drew, a.k.a. Payne. So thanks, Drew, for that email. We inspired him to get into podcasting. That's really cool. And I know a lot of people have become interested, you know, by hearing MuggleCast and other podcasts as well. So very good. Uh, before we wrap up the show today, first, Micah, we have a plug for MuggleNet's new essay section. What's this about? Tell me. So our t- two of our staffers, Noah and Kyle, have been working on what people might remember as our editorial section. And of course, this was a really popular section back in the day. Uh, J.K. Rowling even uh, made mention of it uh, when she gave MuggleNet uh, our fan side award. So... What they're doing, though, now is is looking more at the analysis of the series and a lot of themes. Basically, what we do here on MuggleCast and have done for 220 episodes, uh, but they want it in written format. And, and they've been getting a, a lot of good submissions uh, over, really, the, I guess, since it's been open. It's been there now for about a couple months or so, I think. And we've officially opened it today, which is February the 5th, and people are already sending stuff in, from what I understand, I'm guessing things that they've already had written. And uh, what we're looking for people to do is, is send in something about the series. It can really be on any topic that you want it to be on uh, related to analysis of the Harry Potter series or the movies in 2,000 words or less. And uh, what we're going to do on MuggleNet, though, is we're going to take one of these and we're going to feature them every month, one essay uh, that, that we think, uh, you know, is relevant maybe to something that's going on or just stands out uh, among the rest uh, and and put it there right there on the homepage for people to check out. Uh, The other thing that we're going to do is uh, have people suggest that people write an essay about the chapter-by-chapter segment that we're going to be doing on our upcoming episodes. So what we'll do then is we'll take this essay that people are writing. So, for example, you know, we'll be discussing chapters 27 to 29 on episode 221. You can write an, an essay on it, something related to analysis, themes, characters, whatever you want. And we'll take the, the one essay out of that group and, and we'll discuss it. We'll analyze it ourselves uh, on that episode. So, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to really integrate all the essays that people are writing because so many people out there are so talented. A lot of the fans that visit the site, uh, you know, can write so well and, and have great ideas. So, uh, it's a really cool section. And one other plug I've been telling you guys about for the past couple of weeks, hype, a new podcast hype. that Ben, Shane, and I are doing, hypepodcast.com. Check it out. We're putting out new episode every two weeks, just like we do with MuggleCast, and it's been a lot of fun. So visit hypepodcast.com for the info. And by the way, Ben's going to be at LeakyCon, too. I don't think I mentioned that when we were talking at the beginning, but he will be there. That's that's reason enough to go. You should have just said that instead of giving all those those other reasons. Ben Shane's going to be there. Um, also, Wizard Rock lovers, there is a new website where you can listen to 24 hours a day to Wizard Rock, and it's called Rock Box. That's W R O C K B O X dot com. It's a live radio. You can transport it to your iPhone and other mobile devices, and it's 24 hours of Wizard Rock and other Harry Potter-related segments. Um, 
Look for MuggleCast to show up on Rockbox very shortly, but already you can get time segments featuring different hosts of different things and all the Wizard Rock you could possibly shake a stick at. It's rockbox.com. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Mike Attenbo. We'll see you next time for episode 221. Peace out. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Who's that, Arnold? Bye.